Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Well, we got Lauren Hardy with us here today from Wholesaling Inc. So head over to laurenhardyco.com to learn about what her and her team are to doing. But in a nutshell, we're going to be talking about virtual wholesaling today. So uh, it, this is going to be a great topic. I really appreciate your time here, Laura, Lauren. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Oh, well, this is going to be a big topic. People are always getting into real estate investing for the first time. They're looking at wholesaling. That concept of doing it virtually is always appealing, but it seems like uh, people need to have a better understanding of wholesaling in general first. But before they jump into it, what are some of the things that they maybe should uh, think about and consider when they're just getting into wholesaling? Let's bust a couple myths. Well, I think the most important thing to consider is, is where you are trying to wholesale properties, is this a territory that is a viable territory for wholesaling? So a lot of people, when they're first getting into it, they think that wholesaling can be done easily. And from my experience, and I was that person as well when I got started 10 years ago, from my experience, not every territory is the same. And some territories are more conducive to our business than others. So the first thing you should go is if you're trying to do this in your backyard, is your backyard conducive to wholesaling? Is this the best market? Or are you going to be facing a lot of challenges just right out the gate where maybe if you chose another market, you wouldn't have these challenges? Sure. Well, you know, it, that, that makes a lot of sense. The, the problem I have, you know, I've tried to do a little virtual wholesaling. I've, I do a lot of wholesaling in my backyard. But uh, the problem that I seem to have is when I'm trying to make that personal connection with the individual mm -hmm. and, and trying to get the property, you know, uh, under contract. What type of strategies and tactics have you figured out to, to kind of lower, to make that, make that natural connection? So you have to get really good on the phone. That's really important. And that's a skill that you're going to have to build in yourself. Um, so we started with a really good script. Part of the reason I went virtual, I, I always say like I was kind of doing this over the phone virtually before I was actually technically working virtual because my area, the traffic is really bad. So I wouldn't want to like go drive to sellers houses unless I knew they were really serious about selling. And like we pretty much had a price that we agreed on. Um, so I wouldn't go to sellers houses or making an offer anyway. Way. Because if I were to do that, it would take me four hours, like just to get, you know, there and back, you know, with California, with SoCal traffic. So I had to get good at first at just building enough rapport with the seller where I could figure out that we're on the same page with price and that it is worth my time to get my car. Um, so I recommend you do the same. You've got to get a really good script and you've got to deliver your offer with confidence. The question I get the most is how do you get a seller to actually like sign a contract over the phone when they've never met you? I remember before I went full-blown virtual listening to a podcast of a guy that was virtual and that was in my head. That was the limiting belief. How am I ever going to convince a seller to 
accept a, a, you know, sign a contract when they've never seen me in person, that seems impossible. You've got to get yourself over that limiting belief. If you explain to the seller what your process is, and this is just part of your process, you'd be surprised about 99% of the time they, they are willing to, you know, move forward with your process the way you've got it set up. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's funny you bring that up because that, that's, that's very true is setting that stage and going, just going through the whole process of, so that they understand the process. It, it really does not only, uh, add a level of professionalism into, it shows that you know what you're doing, but, uh, they're typically, it's easier for them to buy in. They understand that process. Mm -hmm. So, Let's talk about the first first virtual market. You're in California. Where was the first market you tried to tackle? Yeah, did you so, focus on one market? Yes, I did. So the first market I chose was Nashville, Tennessee. And I didn't really put much thought behind it. There's definitely more thought behind markets now that I've you know been more experienced with it. At the time, I just thought this seems like a really cool place to visit. So um, that's how I landed there. And the first thing I did, actually, I wasn't wholesaling. At first, I was building houses in Nashville. My background, I started flipping houses. So I started as a house flipper in my local market in uh, the Orange County, Southern California area. So like I would do LA County, Riverside, San Bernardino, and Orange County. So being kind of where I started out as a flipper, what would happen is I would run into properties that I wouldn't actually want. And so I would wholesale like what I didn't want. But my primary goal was like, can I flip this property? So I went with that mindset in Nashville. I went with, you know, can I, you know, flip or develop this property? And I would wholesale what I didn't want. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, then... So you didn't really have any background on that on that city up until then? No. Do you still I, do the wholesaling in that market today? No, I don't. So Nashville at the time was like the number one real estate market in the country. So I had discovered that I left Orange County to go to basically to face the same problems where I was trying to avoid a very saturated competitive market and territory and Nashville was becoming very saturated and competitive because of just where it was in the marketplace at that time. Actually, I mean, it's still, it's still plenty of people are moving to Nashville. So, you know, it's a booming area. So I eventually left Nashville. I did hang out for a couple of years and did some great deals. But as I started feeling like, you know, I'm dealing with the same challenges I did in my backyard. I might as well just do this in my backyard. That's when I left and I I moved on to, um, I chose uh, a more stable market of Oklahoma City and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sure. Mm -hmm. So you, early when we started the conversation, you mentioned you need to make sure it's a viable market. What are some of those measurements that you go by now to determine whether that's a market you want to tackle? Yeah. So actually the way I like to think, and if you're going at this as like you're a wholesale, this is what you have to kind of put in your head is so wholesaling. The, the entire concept is you are getting a property at a discount and then you are going to sell it to another investor who has the expectation of it being still at a discount, but you are, you've sold it just high enough to make a spread for yourself. So for you to be able to get properties at a discount, you need to be able to convince a seller to take a discount on their home. It really all boils down to that. So I think about in this market, is there seller motivation? Would it be easy to convince a seller to take a discount in this market or not? 
So if you looked at every market, you know, and if you're listening to this right now, look at your market right now and go on Zillow and look at the average house prices and ask yourself, is this an area where sellers may be motivated? Would there be some distress here? Or is this an area where, you know, sellers can basically list their house on the market and it be sold really quick? So a lot of that comes with average price point in the area. In Orange County, I mean, I haven't checked. It's been going up every single month. So the last I checked, it was $900,000. The average house price is $900,000, give or take, in my area. So even when it wasn't 900, when it was lower, it was still very hard to get a seller to, to take a discount on their home. They just didn't need to. There was too much demand for real estate. So it was really difficult to get those deals. You know, there's such a limited amount of distressed sellers here, and there's a high amount of investors. There's a lot of people that are cash buyers in Orange County. They're not just wholesalers or real estate investors, like there are just people that have cash because they're independently wealthy, you know, so a cash offer is not very competitive here. So I have noticed in say the $200,000 range average purchase price in the area, that's when you start getting a more seller motivation. So around 200k, maybe 250, because gosh, everything's going up, you know, by the by the minute here is where you start getting in a territory where Sellers are a little bit more motivated. Does wholesaling work in the higher price that like maybe average house price 350 to 500? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But I prefer to go in markets where it is a little bit lower priced if my if my end game is wholesaling. Also, I really love those markets because those are markets where a lot of hedge fund activity is and a primary buyer that I sell to is a hedge fund. And those are markets where, you know, the rent to price ratio is very attractive. They can, you know, really... Uh, maximize their margins on their rentals in that price point. So that's sort of what I look for in a market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're you're kind of feeding the machine right now. We we hear the the hedge funds going in and buying up a lot of properties, but you're using that as a big aspect of one of your exit strategies. Absolutely. Yeah. I love to. I want to know that there's hedge funds in a market I'm at. Sure. Mm -hmm. So is there a way to find out if there's a hedge fund in the markets that you're at? You know, it takes a little digging. I, I think there's a few different ways you could figure it out. If you happen to know names of hedge funds, you can look on their website and they will usually list the markets that they're buying in. But another way is you could just look, get like pull a list in say property upstream. Um, or if you have investor lift as well, and you can pull a list of like recent purchases in the last six months, and you'll see, you know, that there's maybe someone who's buying some entity that's buying, you know, 20 houses in the last six months or more. That's mm -hmm. when you usually know it's a hedge fund. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense, especially regarding, regarding all of that. I was just going to ask you, if you don't have that as an option and you're going into these virtual markets, how have you found ways to establish that buyer's list you're, you're going to need to wholesale too? But it sounds like you usually pulling those lists from prop stream or, or what have you. Yes. So a lot of reverse engineering with, with lists is, is a great way to start. Um, we will pull lists and we'll send mass text messages, you know, saying, Hey, we have a deal in this area. I saw you bought one here. You know, are you looking to buy more deals? We'll market ourselves in that way and try to build a relationship 
and then add them to our buyers list. Um, we also um, go on like Facebook in the local real estate investment association, Facebook pages. That's a really great resource. So we will always post our deals on there. And that's where we have found a lot of our buyers. Well, could you, would you mind like uh, now that you're, you're let's, let's take Oklahoma, for example, talk us through the process, like from what do you do for your finding your leads today? To get uh, to get the seller leads for yeah. the the properties, yeah. So I'm always doing direct to seller marketing. So that's that's kind of my thing. What I'm known for. Um, I have never really bought anything off the MLS. I don't work the MLS um, or agent listed deals. There are wholesalers that do. It's I just never really have done that. I am all about the direct to seller stuff. So um, we do a lot of, you know, cold calling text messages, we have a TV ad. So that's how we're getting a lot of our deals. And it really does take a lot of leads, you know, to get that one deal. So you know, there's a lot of talking to a lot of sellers building rapport, making a lot of offers, you know, to finally landing that one deal. Sure. And then once you get it in somebody in your pipeline, talk a little bit about the process there. You know, since you're doing it remotely, is there any, do you do Zoom calls with them? Do you, is it just strictly phone? Like what, what does the process look like? Yeah. So it's all over the phone. Um, so we, when we get someone into our, you know, say they got a marketing piece from us, um, you know, we will, you know, make sure we get them on the phone and we have kind of a, like a basic property questionnaire that we get asked, you know, we ask them at, at first and it does take a, a minute to kind of get through all the questions. We really want to verify the property details. And then from there, once we have all the property details, we come up with an offer price without seeing it. So sight unseen offer, and we will get the, you know, seller back on the phone and we'll say, okay, this is what we are you know, offering for your property. They don't always say yes at first. You know, sometimes it's, I'll think about it. Sometimes it's no way. And then we put them on a follow-up sequence, just kind of depending on their response. So yeah, I, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of following up, following up until you get the seller, you know, ready um, when they are, you know, when they're ready to sell, we, um, and we have an agreed price. We send them the contract through DocuSign so they can do it with a click of the button. There are some sellers that are not internet savvy, you know, and we, what we will do in that case, we have some boots on ground in our markets. We will have um, our representative who's out there, go meet the seller and hand them the contract. And when the seller signs, they get it back and they will scan it to us. So that's how we, you know, help that seller. Sometimes we get sellers too that say, listen, like I just, I'm old school. I want to shake your hand and, and meet you in person. Um, that's when we would, you know, send the representative as well. Sure. Yeah. So you get, you get the property under contract. What type of due diligence do you do at that point? And I'm sure you need photos and a few other mm -hmm. things. Is that when you send your boots on the ground to that, to that property yes. as well? Yeah. So our, our, um, goal is to know within two weeks, you know, 14 days, what we're going to do with that property. So we will first schedule a photo appointment. Usually that photo appointment takes like the first week up because, you know, it's coordinating with tenants or the seller schedule or our schedule. We get the photos back. We, we look at the photos and we think, okay, you know, we underwrite, I call underwriting the deal, you know, and I think, okay, if I were to flip it, you know, could I make this price work? given the photo condition, if I were to hold it as a rental, you know, is this something that would work, you know, as, as a, you know, a rental for a hedge fund, if we determine that the pricing still looks okay, um, we will show it to our buyers um, on our buyers list. And we would have a, like a open house kind of date 
scheduled already with the seller at that point for the maybe the following week or maybe a few days after that. And we would get buyers into it and we get, you know, the buyer feedback. Hopefully we get lots of offers on the home. That's the hope. And at that point, you know, we know by 14 days, like what, you know, are we wholesaling this deal? Is it something I'm going to buy myself to flip because I still get to cherry pick what I want as well, um, which is a benefit to being a wholesaler, you know, or is it like crickets? No, you know, for example, we had that happen just now. Um, we knew a property, I, I had a feeling that it was overpriced after seeing the photos, um, but it was in a good area. So it was kind of like, mm, maybe we can see, um, you know, maybe this is more of a landlord deal. It's not a flip, but maybe a landlord deal. So we marketed it. It was still crickets, didn't get any, you know, traction on it. So, you know, we called the seller, let them know, like, you know, we're not going to move forward at this price, but this is what I like to have is a price that I will move forward at. Sometimes that's difficult when you get no buyer feedback at all. So luckily I am a buyer. So I put my price in and I say, okay, well, I would buy it if it was this. So I think one thing that's really helpful, and I think a lot of new wholesalers, and also like I see wholesalers have been doing this forever and they, they really don't understand property values. They don't know how to flip a house. Like they don't know all the costs that are involved. So they, they can't confidently go back to the seller and say, I need it at this price. You know, so I think if if you want to really be a good wholesaler, it wouldn't hurt to learn how to flip houses, learn how to, you know, buy a home and hold it as a rental. So you understand the pricing and, you know, you can price homes out, you know, accurately. Well, you know, with with the huge fluctuation in in price, you know, when it comes to cost right now, how have you been able to adapt to that then? Do you mean like construction supply? Yeah, construction. Uh, you know, I will admittedly say construction is the biggest bottleneck in my company right now. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. We have a deal right now, a big project, and I I can't find a GC to work on this thing. It's just been sitting. So we're subbing out everything ourselves, you know, and we're doing it from across the country. So it's, you know, it's it's pretty frustrating. It wasn't like that, you know, years ago. It was a lot easier, you know. So it is really interesting, you know, what's going to happen. I, I, this is, I, I like to, you know, I, I know a lot about market cycles. That's kind of, you know, I've always been pretty educated in market cycles. And um, I fully can say now I have operated in one, almost one full cycle, depending on what happens next, <laughs> you know. So I got in this business like the last day of the recession. Like I joke, but seriously, it was like the last day of the recession is when I first started real estate investing. And I've seen, you know, it go all the way up. And I'll tell you in that recession time, it's pretty easy to find a contractor, you know, mm -hmm. a good one who's hungry and will work with you on price. And then it's like interesting how now with demand so high, contractors are super, super busy. So right. yeah, that's a bottleneck. That's where we're at right now in the market. And then we had such a low inventory for real estate mm -hmm. in itself. How, how did you cope with that? Did you uh, change any tactics in trying to find that next deal? Absolutely. I mean, we've had to be so competitive with seller marketing and it's not easy. You know, you definitely have to try, you know, all the things and, and, um, you know, your sales funnel management needs to be really, really strong you know, and, and no lead gets left behind. You know, if you're spending marketing dollars, you need to make sure that every one of those sellers gets an offer, you know, from you, every one of those sellers gets worked, you know, something that I transitioned to this year that I never did before was really focusing on monetizing every single lead 
So, you know, we, it, because it has taken more leads to get that one deal. So what do you do with the 45 leads that you didn't make a deal out of, you know, we now are referring those leads to realtors, you know, so in the hope that, you know, maybe one of those becomes a listing, you know, and we get a referral fee for that. So that's something that we've done this year that, you know, we didn't really feel the need to in previous years. I probably should have. I, I didn't really realize how much money I was throwing away. So we even are like now it's kind of the new forward thinking thing that I want to do is actually have like an in-house reality arm, you know, to work those leads mm -hmm. that, you know, we're not using right now. So. Yeah. Well, when you have that many referrals, how do you trust and verify the realtor and that everything, everything's going to work yeah. out there? So that's been, a, that's been a big bottleneck as well. So in one territory, we have an awesome realtor who's doing everything. Like, you know, she's, a, we have a Google spreadsheet, you know, that she like updates to let us know, like seller's been, you know, reached out to and have a listing appointment on this day. And then we have another realtor who we put on the same process and he doesn't update anything. And we don't, we haven't seen one listing come out of him. Whereas like the other girl, we've seen a couple listings come out of her. So you definitely have to find a good realtor who's hungry, humble. I think that, you know, the difference I can tell is this other realtor is, seems a little fat and happy already. He's, he's kind of got a pretty active business as it is. So mm -hmm. I think he's not taking our leads very seriously because he has to split, you know, them with us. So it is finding that right realtor you know, and making sure that they are working your leads. And this is something new this year that we started doing, haven't refined the process, but that's what motivated me to actually get somebody more like in-house, you know, set up an actual team, you know, like a reality arm, that's a team with a team name and all of that, you know, and, you know, that way I can kind of have a little bit more control over them and I can see, you know, what they're doing a little bit more. Sure. You know, there's been a couple of times now where you mentioned having your boots on the ground and you have somebody going over to the, to, to the house, maybe to, to do, do a walkthrough or, or get the paperwork signed or validate a few things. How important is it to have, when you're getting into virtual wholesaling, how important is it to have a boots on the ground in that market? Yeah, I know it's super important. It's super important. In fact, there's going to be a certain point as you get busier and busier where you might have to hire somebody full time, you know? So the first stage when you're new is I say, find another wholesaler and just JV with them, joint venture. And, and that is the easiest way. You don't have to pay them per hour. You know, it, it, that's the best way when you're a newbie to start out. Always start out with a JV. That's how we start out. And we're not newbies. You know, we still start with JVs in every market we're in. If we're in a market, we've never done a deal there. Like we will try to find another wholesaler to work the deal. You know, number two, next phase is I call it getting a runner. So a runner is maybe someone that you found on Craigslist. They work, you know, when you need them totally part-time, not a set schedule, you know, at maybe 20 bucks an hour and they go and you teach them how to take property photos and how to meet sellers and how to talk to sellers. Pretty simple training. You know, it takes us like an hour to train them. And that is the person that we've ran off for a long time. We are now, there's, there's a point where you hit where the runner comes, it becomes a little bit chaotic, like not having just this full-time person that you know is available. And so we've just now hired like a full-time representative full-time there. That's the first time I've ever done that. So I'm excited because we've just exceeded that place where the runner is not going to work. You know, we need, 
a more reliable presence. So I'm pretty excited about that. So you, you mentioned, uh, especially when you're getting into a market for the first time and you're still using joint ventures, you know, uh, to accomplish this, how do you get, I, I'm going to just guess now based on some experience, there's kind of a mindset there as well to get over the fact that you have s- splitting the deal or the other guy might steal the deal or, yeah. or a variety of, of things there. How do you, how do you work through some of that? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I have a, I don't know if we've mentioned it, but I do have a coaching program. I've coached a lot of students on virtual wholesaling. I think we've had over 370 students at least. And so that is a number one thing. And I, I say like, this is a, a, one of the commandments, like you, thou shalt get a JV partner. You have to <laughs> just trust me on this one. Okay. I, I have been, I've wholesaled, I think it's six markets total. And every time I start a new in a new market, I don't care how experienced I've been. It is a whole new animal figuring out this market and figuring out pricing and figuring out the best buyers in the market. And every time we've tried to do it on our own, we'll get about five properties under contract and we can't move any of them. And we've got everything priced wrong. And we try to do it ourselves. It doesn't work. And so then we go to the, you know, we we lean on a runner or a, a JV partner, right? And then the JV lets us know why they're not moving <laughs> or the JV moves it, you know, and we go, wow, how did you do that? We couldn't do it on our own. And we have PropStream and InvestorLift and all these tools. We still couldn't do it. So there's just something to, you know, cutting the learning curve that has value and to me, if if you can save me time and learning about this market and you can close a deal and, you know, I would rather get 50% of something than 0% of, you know, nothing. Right. So, yeah. so you really got to get over that and just be willing to share for a little bit until you're ready to go out it on your own. Yeah. It's amazing how people will get held up on the concept of missing out Mm-hmm. on on half a deal or something and then they miss out on the whole thing it's 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 such a cart before the horse oh situation. my god yes it's like totally they already think they're like cart before the horse like they're like oh but i'm gonna make fifty thousand on this and then it's like no you're not like you're right. not gonna find a buyer i think is, is my guess oh, yeah. yeah no that makes a lot i can't i can't stress that enough it, it's 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 amazing what people we we kind of get get locked in in, in these type of scenarios. So right. when you're, when you're doing this virtual wholesaling, you know, it, it's one of those things I've, I've already, I've, I've told quite a few people, especially when they're getting into wholesaling for the first time, the concept of getting a property under contract, everything gets so much easier when that first deal finally lands, there's like something that snaps or, or clicks mm-hmm. that it finally makes it like in your mind, like, Oh, this actually is possible. This is, this actually is going to work. Is, do you find that that's going to be the, that's the situation here, especially when it comes to virtual wholesaling? Oh my gosh. I, isn't everything like that? Like everything, you know, it's amazing. You'll put something in your head, like this idea that the, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think I can do it. You know, and then you got to ask yourself, like, well, why? Why are you saying that? You know, so like a perfect example is for a, a while, I have more managed my company, not worked in my company. After I got the coaching, you know, program going, you know, it became too much for me to do both. So I hired people under me to manage acquisitions, to manage the dispositions, right? And I'm just the manager of them, right? I'm, I'm the one orchestrating it, but I'm not the one doing it. 
And, you know, our company grew to like, you know, uh, doing more volume than even when I did it, just solo operator, you know, so that we have new processes. We have like a new way of doing dispositions. Well, after, uh, you know, I had realized I, I kind of wasn't very confident in who I placed in dispositions. And I started noticing, you know, that she really wasn't working deals as hard as she should be. And, you know, I think my sales would be better if we had a better person in there. But I hadn't been in that role in so long that I kind of didn't know her processes. I didn't even know really what she was doing. So I did let her go. And I committed to I'm going to go back into that role for a while so I can see what she's doing. And I can make this role bulletproof and way better and raise the sales. But I'm not going to lie, like going into it, having not gone into it, I, I started getting a lot of self doubt. I started thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, I don't know. Like, what if mm -hmm. I can't do it as well as she did? You know, and I started, then I thought about it. Like, I was like, why, are, why, why are you saying that to yourself? Like, why are you saying that you can't do this? Like, is this just a mindset thing? Like, are you just getting in your head and saying you can't do it? Just, you know, whatever. Like, of course, if you keep doing that, you're, you're going to not do it. You know, you need to change your mindset. So, you know, having even that self-awareness that even I do that sometimes, you know, and it's been about a week into her role and uh, already I'm like, you know, I think I am doing better than she did. <laughs> so, so, you know, we all do that. You, you got to get this mindset stuff. You got, you got to fix the mind first. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think virtual is a waste of time. I remember um, when I first went virtual, someone said, I think that's a shiny object, Lauren, you should probably stay in Southern California. If I would have stayed in Southern California, I'd have a full-time job not in real estate that that's, I wouldn't have been able to make this work here. Right. So it's all about mindset. You know, I, I, I keep focusing on this, the, the concept of this mindset, because there's, there is something associated with that, you know, the, and I always tell people that very first one is always going to be the hardest one. Mm -hmm. it, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a, a drudge drudgery associated with it. You're going to, mm -hmm. you're going to keep keep working out and and doing those exercises and making those cold calls. And in that first one is always the hardest, but for some reason, as soon as that first one hits the, the second one is faster. The third one is even faster. The fourth one, it's, it, and I, I'm convinced it's all about the mindset. You're finally mm -hmm. convinced yourself that this actually works. Mm -hmm. Yep. It, and it, and it impacts everything, including how you interact and talk to the sellers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with all that being said, so you're, how many markets are you in here now? I'm in three and you know, I'm trying to just get in one. I, I used to like think that more is better and I am less about that as I age in this industry. I want to do more in one, you know, market. I, I think that's, that has been, you know, the last year going, you know, there is, I could do bigger things and I can be more competitive if I have, you know, a stronger team in this one area versus kind of having a light team in three areas. So my new, you know, kind of action is trying to kind of narrow this down, you know, and maybe build a stronger team in one. So when you first started off, it was just a one person show, right? Uh-huh. Yep. So how fast did you scale when you decided to let some of those activities go and, and you relying on a, on a team. Yeah, I was a one woman show for about two years. And then I hired just an assistant. He was supposed to be just basically like, but cloned. <laughs> I just taught him how to do all the things I do, you know, mm -hmm. and he just has to 
do it when I can't do it. So when I got started, I had young children. They're now eight and 11 now. But at the time, um, Reese was like one years old. So she's my older one. It was I got in 10 years ago. And I was pregnant with Presley. So I knew there's going to be times where sellers, you know, if sellers were calling for marketing, I can't pick up the phone. So I needed someone to do that to service the customer as soon as possible and give the best customer service. And I knew if I was going to be the one responsible for it, I was going to do a bad job because of being home with the kids. So that was my first hire um, was just someone to basically be seller facing. And that person still works with me to this day. Um, He has done every role in the company. So he's got a pretty big role now. He underwrites the properties. He gives, um, he's the one deciding to put it under contract. He prices all of them out. And then we have someone under him that does the acquisitions. So you mentioned how how important is it to make sure that when somebody calls in regarding a lead that you bond right away, like... Oh, it's so important. You, you have a, there is competition in every single market. And the one thing I noticed is our competition is not as good as us. So the, I would call our competition and not get a call back for two days. So you got to think like, if I'm not getting a call back, like I'm going to go on Google, you know, and and find the next person. So if you're, you know, not getting back to sellers in a timely basis, like you're going to lose that lead. They're going to be off calling someone else. Yeah. I, I, I forget where I see it, but I even saw, I've, I think I've seen statistics where if if you wait a day, you cut your opportunity on that lead in well over half, if not more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just basic sales and marketing. You know, right. if you wait, you know, so we say get a hold of them as soon as possible. Like, no, I like we have our TV ads answered live and then we, you know, not any longer than 24 hours. Sure. Mm-hmm. So can you give us an example of one of your students? Let's say they came in here, you, they they didn't know really anything about virtual wholesaling, let alone wholesaling, mm-hmm. and where they are at in a in a like within a year. Gosh, you know, there's so many different student avatars, you know. I have some students that just come right out of the gate on fire. Um, and those are always the funnest, you know, to to get the ones that are just in that mode of like, I'm gonna make this work. That's my favorite student. If you want to make wholesaling work, you got to have that attitude of like, ever it takes and don't, you know, like you need to take action immediately and take action every single day and do exactly what I say. Don't waver. I can always tell when students are, are like mixing my advice with YouTube University, get off YouTube University, focus on what I'm telling you to do. I put a blueprint. So I have a checklist and I make my students go through the whole blueprint. And by the end of that blueprint, they've got a wholesale deal if they do what I say. So yeah, I've had some amazing, amazing student success stories. In fact, I heard just recently one of my past students now has like a team of eight in an office. I have one student from India. He he closed his first year 500,000 in gross wholesale fees his first year all the way from India. He was wholesaling in Indianapolis. So that's pretty cool. Um, I've got another guy. He was doing it from Spain. He's done remarkably well. Um, so yeah, I've got some, I've definitely have some really awesome student success stories. I actually put them on my YouTube channel. Sure. Well, I, I just really appreciate your time here, Lauren. Uh, again, it's laurenhardyco.com. Check, uh, check it out. Uh, and uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great information, especially on the YouTube channel. So I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But Lauren, this has been a great conversation. I hope you consider coming back. But before I let you go, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here for people today? Oh man, I always, you know, it's always that last question that you, you guys stumped me on. Um, honestly, I, 
I like to end usually with like a book recommendation or like maybe just something, you know, a resource that's helped me. So when I first got started, the book I think that motivated me the most and helped me get going was The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. So it's a book that stresses that the little things that you do every day, these little actions and these choices that you make every day, um, they seem so small and they don't seem to get you anywhere at first, but there is a compound effect to that. So it really, it's a, it's a pretty motivating book. Um, I try to like pick it up every year. So yeah, that's, that's what I want to leave you guys off with. I'll make sure to have a link to that book in the show notes. I appreciate it again, Lauren. Uh, This is great. I hope you'll consider coming back sometime. Awesome. I'd love to. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.